was to talk to you about the light of the world, who or what would you think of? My hope is that somewhere near the top of your list would be Jesus. If you were with us last week, you'll have heard JP reading from the opening chapter of John's Gospel. John's Gospel introducing us to Jesus and describing him in terms of a light shining in the darkness. Even more straightforward than that is Jesus' description of himself later in John's Gospel. It's recorded that Jesus was teaching, as he was in the habit of doing, and boldly declaring this. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So if when I asked, what or who do you think of when I speak about the light of the world, if you answer Jesus, go ahead and give yourself a sticker. But there's more to it than that, of course, isn't there? Because when John writes about Jesus, when he describes him as this life-giving, light shining in the darkness, when Jesus himself stands up and declares himself to be the darkness-banishing light of the world, neither of them are speaking into a vacuum. Both of them are using language, using imagery, using pictures that we're supposed to link with elsewhere in the Bible. It's universally accepted, I think, that John's opening gospel chapter is written in such a way that it's supposed to cast our minds back to the Bible's opening chapter, to Genesis chapter 1. And what do we find when we read Genesis chapter 1? Well, we find a God who speaks light into darkness. Clearly, light coming into darkness is a divine thing, it's a divine act. Similarly, when Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, who, who helps people to walk along, we're supposed to, in our mind's eyes at least, be transported back to the story of the Exodus, of the Israelites and all those who joined with them to leave Egypt, to, to move through the Red Sea, to travel through the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. In Exodus 13, verse 21, don't... Don't worry, I don't know that off the top of my head. I had to look that up myself. We read these words. That the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel by day and by night. People walking in darkness, the Lord being their light, Clearly, again, it's a divine thing. So if somewhere on your list, when I asked what or who do you think of when I speak about the light of the world, if you've responded God, then guess what? You get a little sticker too. Stickers for everybody. Can you tell that I've been homeschooling it all this week? And of course, we, we can understand, can't we, how both those answers are right. Both the answer Jesus and God is correct because... John and Jesus himself are, amongst other things, in using this language, trying to show us how Jesus is the eternal Son. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But there is one more answer, and it's the answer I want us to explore this morning. It's probably the response that we're least likely to give. Surprisingly, it's an answer that comes from Jesus himself. 
But this time the focus isn't on him. You see, Jesus was once again teaching. Uh, teaching specifically a group of his followers. And this is what he had to say. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This same Jesus who had drawn a line from God to himself using this phrase turns aside to his followers and says, and you, you are the light of the world. How can that be? How can you or I or any other follower of Jesus be the light of the world? The one come into the darkness in order to dispel it, in order to bring life. If this is as far as we go, it doesn't make sense, does it? Well, I'm going to show you in a moment, but it's worth noting that even when Jesus spoke of himself as the light of the world, he concluded by saying this, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice what he says there. He doesn't say anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness because they are now following a light as the Israelites and, and others were in the Exodus story. But he says anyone who follows me will have the light of life. And this is what I think Jesus is getting at. This is why it's a term, a description that can be used for him and for us. What Jesus promises us is that whenever we come to him, when we come to the light, we also receive that light. We also are set ablaze. We become, because of Jesus, little light of the worlds ourselves. Makes sense, doesn't it? That if Jesus is the light, that if Jesus is the fire that goes before us, that when we get close enough to him, we catch a light as well. We're able, therefore, to take our light wherever we can, wherever we want to. That not only was Jesus the one coming into the world to banish darkness, but this light can be taken into other nooks and crannies and deep corners. And wherever we go, the light which came from Jesus, which came from God, goes with us. Now, it's not a perfect illustration, obviously, because our Christian lives are not supposed to be lives of coming to Jesus once, uh, a one and done situation, and then moving on never to return. Of course, we're supposed to keep coming back, drawing closer and closer. We want to be people who don't just know Jesus, but know him more. But you get the idea, don't you? The light has come, and that all those who have drawn close to him now that light of life is in them too. And one of the privileges of having that light is that we get to take it and we get to shine it wherever we go. This itself is not a new idea. This wasn't um, a revolutionary idea when Jesus spoke it either. 
the book of the prophet Isaiah is absolutely chock filled with this sort of language of God's people becoming a light to the nations. Not a light under a basket, obscured and essentially useless, but like a city that is perched on top of a hill for all to see. Actually goes back even further than that. Goes back all the way to the promises made to Abraham in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 18, this is what the Lord says. He says, Abraham is to become a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. The ones who have come to me, the ones who have been set alight by me. God says, my intention is to use them to fill the world with my light. All of this is just to say that when we stop and consider it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That the God who is light, the God who is the light of the world that brings life, that that Jesus, that Emmanuel, that God with us and amongst us, that he has come, he has brought life, he has brought light, and that anyone who is close to him, who is near to him, who'd find forgiveness in him, acceptance in him, restoration in him, that they would then have that light too. But that light, and this is where we're heading this morning, is not something that's to be kept to themselves. That light which is given to those who follow after Jesus, that light is to be shone brightly far and wide. That's why our mission statement as a church doesn't finish with to know Jesus more. It doesn't finish with coming, being set alight and nothing else. That's why our mission statement as a church is to know Jesus more, to get as close as we can to that flame and to go on and to say we also are about making Jesus more known if you like, taking that flame with us wherever we go. So how do we do that? How do we be a people who not just come near Jesus, who deepen our relationship with him, grow to be more like him, if you like, increase the size of the flame that we have, but how do we be a people who take Jesus, his light, his love, his life with us everywhere we go. Well, one thing we won't do is do it accidentally. It won't just spontaneously happen or naturally occur. Well, perhaps it might. If I'm careless with this, then I'm sure I could definitely catch something else on fire. But Jesus' encouragement is to be proactive in this. He's calling his followers the light of the world and to take the initiative with what they have in him. Jesus says this wonderful thing is true about you if you have turned from your old ways, yourself turned to Jesus, if you're part of his family, part of his kingdom, that you are now a light of the world and he says you should therefore go and make the most of it puts it in a negative sense first. Don't hide your light. 
but make use of it. Make use of it so that it illuminates the lives of everyone you encounter. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. My guess is, when we contemplate how it is that we make Jesus more known, our first instinct wouldn't be to say, through good works. And yet here is Jesus saying, you are the light of the world, let your light shine so that others would see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I want us to quickly pick up how this unfolded in the minds and the writings of one of those people who were with Jesus when he said this, one of his followers who heard what he had to say about us being lights of the world and calling us to shine our lights before others. I want us to look at the letter that Peter wrote to the early church. Peter was one of those up on the mountain with Jesus who heard this description, who had this encouragement. And he wrote in 1 Peter to Christians who were facing real pressure, Christians who were facing real persecution. And he wrote to them about how just, how special they were in God's eyes, how special they were in God's plans and God's purposes even. And there's this moment in the letter where it feels like you're almost going to be crushed under the weight of Old Testament images and uh, imagery that he uses. In the second chapter, he writes this, and, and listen out for the light in the darkness. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim his praises, the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Do you see the legacy of what Jesus taught all those years ago up the mountain? Peter encouraging in exactly the same sort of way that the purpose, if you like, for being one of his followers is that we might in some way bring about the praise, the adoration, the enjoyment of God in the people who are around us. But not just in any God, no, specifically, take note of this. He says that it's this God who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into light, into his magnificent light, it says. The question still remains, though, how? How does that come about? Well, it seems that Peter, just as Jesus taught and, uh, and advocated for, lives which are lived entirely differently. Peter saw the power of a life that was lived for Jesus in making an impact on those around him. Have a look in your own time at the rest of chapter 2 of 1 Peter and, and most of chapter 3. Um, Peter hones in on people in specific areas, men, women, uh, free people, slaves, husbands, wives, all that sort of thing. Uh, and he unpacks a little bit what, what it might look like in different contexts to live differently for Jesus. But at the end of that long, long list, his long list of suggestions of, of how we live differently so that others might praise and glorify that God who has taken us from light into darkness, this is where he, he finishes. And remember that he's writing to a people who are being harassed and hurt for their faith in Jesus. This is what he writes. 
Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. I really think this is one of the most important, one of the most dense instructions we have to the church. Let's try and track with what Peter is saying here as he unpacks what Jesus taught all those years ago. He's been saying, live a life that flows out of the light that you have in Jesus. Remember that when the going gets hard, because the going will get hard. That's a promise. When it gets hard, keep coming back to Jesus. You know, as the, as the winds come, as, the, as, they, as they blow, as they make it so that it's hard to keep that flame alight, keep coming back and making sure that you are set on fire with Jesus. And what will happen? You'll have an impact. You will stand out. In fact, that will be the cause of much of the pressure and the stress that you're under. But when prompted, when questions come, explain why. Explain why you are living so, so differently. You know, I, I love this section because for a start, it's just real. It's real about how life will not be easy just because we're walking with Jesus. In fact, it, it explains how life might be even more difficult when we choose to walk with Jesus. That's not to say it's worse, it's better, but that's not an easier life. So I love it because it's real. I love it because it tells us that we have to keep coming back to Jesus. It tells us that no matter what we go through, Paul says a similar thing, whether with plenty or with little, I kept on coming back to Jesus. I, I keep on coming back to the one who started it all, the one who sustains it all, the one who never runs out when we are ever in need. And I love it because it, it, it shows us the power of, of living questionable lives. Questionable lives in the sense of living differently, that lives that provoke questions. Living in ways that are completely countercultural, that defy the, the expectations of the people we rub shoulders with every single day. People who don't have the hope that we have in Jesus. People who don't have the peace that comes from knowing him. People who, who, don't, who haven't been set alight and therefore can't do these good works, can't live in such a way to bring glory and praise to the Father. When we live like that, Peter says, do you know what? Then, then you will have earned the opportunity, not just to live for Jesus, but for speak for Jesus as well. I think that's so important. This is why as a church, when we say that we're all about knowing Jesus more and being transformed by that and making Jesus more known, we say that the making Jesus more known is in, in, in two parts of the one mission. Through lives that are filled with Jesus and speech that is filled with Jesus. Sometimes we like to separate those two things out. I, I'm not entirely sure we can 
comfortably or rightly separate them from each other? How can we have actions which aren't backed up with words? And how can we have words which aren't backed up with actions? We can't really. Peter and Jesus and others in the Bible see the real power of our witness when our lives and our words bear witness together. I was chatting to JP earlier about how we could think about this. And I was thinking about some of the people in church history, in the history of people who have followed after Jesus, whose words have really made an impact. And of course, uh, my mind went to Jim Elliot. Um, you might know some of his story. He was a missionary to um, peoples in the Amazonian rainforest, I think. He ended up dying at their hands, trying to take the, the hope, the light of the gospel into their darkness. And one of the things he said was this. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that has been that has been a word which has encouraged people, it's challenged people, it's helped people to see just how important life with Jesus is. But when you stop and you think about it, what would Jim Elliot's story be if it was only words and no action? If his story was that remarkable um, quote, but someone who had given up on Jesus and chased after wealth and comfort and fame for himself, that quote would have been forgotten in an instant. His life would have undone the things that he said. Flip it on its head. Had Jim Elliot just been someone who was committed to sharing Jesus with others, but wasn't willing to travel wasn't willing to get on a plane and, and to land in this dense forest to try and learn languages, to confront people who were hostile and, and aggressive, even out of fear. Even had Jim Elliot been someone who had simply died in trying to share the gospel, but never articulated why he was willing to give up his life, never given us that great quote, the power would have been lost. And here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make, that we need powerful lives and we need powerful words. Sadly, what usually happens is we go to one end of the extreme or the other. We prioritise actions or we prioritise words. And what we end up doing is becoming hip hypocrites. Our words end up undermining our actions or conversely, it can happen that our actions undermine our words. And what happens then, it's a bit like taking our flames, locking them away, sealing them up. When our words certainly don't match up with our actions. When our actions don't match up with our words. We put them away, we separate them out. And this is what happens. I hope this is going to come through on the camera for you. Slowly but surely, that bright, bold, strong light, that light that had so much potential to go and to, to set new lights in dark places, slowly but surely, they become snuffed out. Slowly but surely, they become absolutely 
useless. There's no way that that candle now, either of these candles, are going to go and shine a light in a dark place. Sad, really, isn't it? It's not the end, of course. Uh, even with an extinguished flame, there's always the hope, there's always the chance of coming back, back to the source, coming back to Jesus and being set alight again. But it's the importance of a life that is lived differently. And words then that back up that life, that bear witness to the truth. That's why we're a church that believes in making Jesus more known by having lives that are filled with Jesus, as well as speech that is filled with Jesus. I just want to finish off by suggesting, do you know what? We could have learned all of this just by looking at Jesus's life. Because Jesus was someone who went and lived differently. Jesus was someone who went and spoke differently. And time after time in the Gospels, we see people coming to him and asking the question, why do you say that? Why do you live like that? Jesus was our pattern, our example. He was the light of the world as we are to be lights of the world. I think we see it most clearly, though, of course, on the cross when actions and words for Jesus truly met. There he was, an innocent man, convicted in a sham of a court, sentenced to death, hung on a cross, acting for our sake and speaking as well. Jesus prayed there, Father, forgive them. See, the light that came into the world was a light of actions and words together. The life that we have when we draw near to him comes from his actions and from his words. Therefore, we are to be lights of the world. Not people who hide that light, but people who let it shine. People who live in such a way that others will ask why, why our hope never wears out so that we can speak the name of Jesus into those situations. And then says God, then they'll declare the praises of the one who has called us ourselves out of darkness and into his glorious light. We're about knowing Jesus more, coming to him, drawing near, being set ablaze and we're about making Jesus more known, taking that light and shining it as far and wide as we can. We're about being filled up in our lives with Jesus, being filled up in our speech with Jesus, so that God's name be praised. Lord God, we thank you for the light that has come. We thank you for the calling that we have in that light to be lights ourselves. Lord, help us not to think that we are lights in and of ourselves, but only in as much as we are near to Jesus. Only in as much as the light has come into our lives and we now walk as people with that marvellous light. Lord, I pray that we will genuinely, as a church, live lives that are different. Not obtuse lives, 
not awkward lives, not lives which demonstrate value in material things or hope in politicians or medicines or, or money or any other things, but people whose lives genuinely flow out of the hope that we have in Jesus, of the forgiveness we have in Jesus, of the acceptance we have in Jesus, of the new identities that we have in Jesus that can never be stripped away from us. Lord, I'm excited at the prospect of, of us living such different lives that others will come and they will ask, why? How can you live like that? Lord, I thank you in anticipation of those questions that we have such a wonderful answer. Not because we are better people. Not because we're more intelligent people or more moral people or anything like this. But because of Jesus. Lord, my prayer is for our church that we would be filled in our lives and in our speech with Jesus. And that your name be glorified in Amford and area more and more. Amen.